0: Welcome to the Blessed Be Birth Podcast, a place to talk about all things pregnancy, birth, and motherhood through the lens of the Catholic faith. I'm Maggie, birth doula and birth assistant.
1: And I'm Gabby, birth doula and postpartum nurse. Join us for our conversation about pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and how we can invite God in. Hey. Hello. How are you today?
0: Oh, so good. I went to um, me and the kiddos went to Lowe's earlier this morning to get some plants because um, Damien lovingly dug up my tomato plants from my garden bed the other day. <laughs> so I have to start over with those. It's okay. So, so we went to go pick up some and I got a few extra plants this morning and it was just a happy place for me. <laughs>
1: Oh, good. It's gorgeous outside lately. I, this is like my kind of weather, like 70s, like as long as it's like below 80, I'm happy. Kids are happy. We can be outside like super comfortably. I
0: love it. Oh, I know. And I can't believe it's already the end of May. Like this comes out Memorial Day. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not crazy. I know. Oh my gosh. I can't believe like school lets out for us in a couple weeks already which is like hard to believe that it's already yeah like we're almost into summer now it's just crazy to think about
1: it's it's so weird how fast it's going by because last year i was pregnant and i apologize sydney's with me today and she's a little cranky (laughs) i'm just gonna do it um But, like, last year I was pregnant, and it's so weird how nine months when you're pregnant goes by so slowly, but when you have a baby, it goes by so fast.
0: Oh, yeah. I
1: don't understand it.
0: Uh, And even, like, as they get older, it seems like, like time just keeps going by faster and faster and faster as, like, your kiddos get older, too, and you're like, wow, like, how are you already doing this? Like, how are you talking so much? How are you able to, like, do all these things? Like... My oldest now is, like, start, like doing way more chores around the house now. And I'm like, wow, like, this is crazy. Like, it's just oh, go nice. by, it goes by so fast. Yeah.
1: I know. I, I know, like, people say that. And it makes, it, it's, like, so annoying to hear people be like, oh, enjoy now because it goes by fast. And you're, like, in the thick of it. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, I'm not enjoying the moment. But it's so, it's, but it's so true. It flies by. Ugh. So I think that's like the part of parenting I can't stand.
0: I there's a time and place for that statement. And unfortunately it seems like most people like to say it at the worst possible time when you're in it and it's a really hard moment and like enjoy it. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's not helping me, but thank you. Like I I get the sentiment behind it, but I think it's just timing. Like when it's a really good moment, I really soak up those moments. But, you know, when someone's throwing a tantrum, it's really hard to soak up and just enjoy those moments. So, yeah. yeah. Timing. Timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, do you want to share what we're going to be discussing today?
0: I'm excited about this one. I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited about this topic. So um, we are going to talk about the history of... um midwifery and obst- obstetrician Ob- obst- obstetric <laughs> obstetricians <laughs> I'm sorry I can't talk today um, obstetrics there it is there thank it you is. cool um but we're gonna talk about the history of of how women's um prenatal care has come to be where it is today because it hasn't always been this way um and this was something I didn't even know about until I started on my um, doula journey, like, three years ago. So I didn't even know any of this existed until that point. Uh, How about you, Gabby?
1: I'm trying to remember. Like, I knew midwives were a thing. But I don't think it was until the past few years that I understood that midwives used to be, like, the ones, you know, um, catching babies. Uh, I don't like that. That was the main thing. And that obstetrics is actually relatively new. Um, which I think is very amusing because we see OBs as the, the experts on like all things, pregnancy and birth because you know, they're the doctor um, in the room. Sydney Rose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) what happened
1: oh my gosh she tooted so loud i thought you could hear it (laughs) oh that's
0: what that was i thought it was something moving in the background that's okay
1: that was her
0: (laughs) oh gosh oh babe
1: oh anyways um you know obstetrics is relatively new and while we think like they're the experts because they're the doctors um it's really been midwives since oh gosh i mean they talk about midwives in the Bible. So midwives have been around for centuries. Um, So there's a lot of knowledge there that we're essentially missing now with the way that things have gone in the last um, few hundred years.
0: Yeah. And it's so interesting to get um, even that perspective from an OB who. Has been like you know trained in that world and lived in lives in that world lived in that world like Doctor Stu from Birthing Instincts really does talk about that a lot because Mm he um, it's a podcast I always highly recommend Um, he goes on a lot of tangents um, (laughs) so it may not be for everyone but he was a uh, he's he's an OB but he now is a home birth OB and he does actually specialize in twins and breech births at home but the big thing with him is that he worked in the hospital system for, I think like at least 20 years, if not more. And so not only was he went to medical school, he worked in the hospital. And so he knows that world. And then he decided to switch to home birth, um, and working alongside midwives. And it's, it's interesting to hear him talk about that. And another doctor is Dr. Nathan Riley is, um, like his, his journey is similar and he's just, he's in Tennessee, Dr. Stu's on the West coast. And so um, those are two really great OBs um, to get their perspective on OB versus midwife from the OB side, because they've gone through that world. They've been immersed in that. And it is different. It's radically different from how midwives are trained because OBs are, are trained surgeons. That's what they are. Um, They're very, good at what they do and what they're trained in is to help whenever there is an issue that needs fixed, um, for like a gynecological issue that needs fixed through surgery. Um, so when that is needed, like praise God that they're there to fix that. Cause that is what they are specially trained to do. Um, what they are not specially trained to do is, um, letting birth happen the way that it's supposed to and um, seeing a healthy woman give birth um, without any interventions because they are trained that interventions are needed. Um, Cause a lot of their training is for like those really like, necessary interventions, whether it's someone needs to have something done because there's a uterine rupture or there's a, you know, some, uh, cancer that's happening. Um, there's a growth that needs to be removed. Like they are trained in a lot of those different surgeries and skills that need to happen. Um, but birth majority, 90% of the time is low risk and doesn't need interventions. And so they're just not trained in that method and model, of birth, whereas midwives are because it is more of a woman based care system where they're following the lead of the mom and like listening to her and um, being more one on one with her and what her needs are. And um, it's very individualized care.
1: Yeah. And if you look at like the history of how midwives up until, you know, recently were trained, it was like woman to woman, like you learned this trade of being a midwife. So it wasn't just like learning things from te- textbooks. It was actually like learning from real people. And I'm not saying, you know, there's, it's great that we can, you know, learn in these modern ways, but there's something that is lost when we're no longer like learning the trade of being a midwife. And actually, um, a lot of people... Uh, told me this when I first was going to nursing school and I wanted and I was mentioning like I you know wanted to further um, go on and become a midwife at some point in my career and so many people were like you need to get into labor and delivery and you need to actually see births because we have a lot of midwives who go to um, go to school and they've never seen a birth before and they've never wow. experienced it. So, you know, and you only have a couple weeks of clinicals in some of these programs. So, and this is more for, um, this is for like nurse to midwifery specific. Um, so they're not getting that like experience either. So we've really lost this trade of midwifery where these women understood instinctually all of these things That is just, it's just gone when we go to the the modern system we have in place because we're so used to looking at things from the textbook standpoint. And then we're looking at, like Maggie said, interventions and doctors are so used to fixing things because that's what they're taught. You know, they're Mm -hmm. taught that, you know, pregnancy is something they need to fix. Labor and birth is something they need. They need to do something. Um. Because in all other medical fields, that's what doctors do. They do something. They fix something. Um, So, yes, we need OBs when there is something to, quote, unquote, fix in labor and delivery. But that's not the case for the majority of births. And that's why we really need midwives um, in there. And you'll hear a lot of people say things like medwives for midwives that are basically, you know, doing the same thing that OBs are doing in hospitals where they're not sitting on their hands. They're, they're doing all of these interventions. They're pushing things on people that people would rather just not happen. So even midwives have changed a lot in the last few hundred years.
0: Yeah. And well, it's because like you said, who is training them? So, um, I mean, like midwives have gone back, I'd almost say, yeah, to like very early times. So some really great examples of that is, um, I mean, midwives are mentioned in the book of Exodus, um, in chapter one of the book of Exodus, where um, the Pharaoh had declared this decree that all the male children from age, you know, from newborn to I think it was age two would be killed because there was this, you know, like, oh, there's too many there's too many uh, Jews, and so we need to get rid of them so they don't over, overtake us. And um, he first decreed, like, the midwives, like, yeah, if there's a boy that's born, like, you need to you need to get rid of them. And it says the God-fearing midwives, you know, they feared God so much that they were like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> um, and they, they got around that, and they skirted around it, and they're like, oh, we didn't know what it was. Sorry. Like, so... Um, so but it mentions there in Exodus like there are midwives. Um, there's, you know, some books that are out there, too, that mention midwives as well from, you know, the time of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Um, I mean, when is the hi- historical fiction book, The Red Tent? I don't know. Have you read that book, Gabby?
1: I haven't, actually. I know of it. Um, that title is familiar, but I have never read
0: it. Yeah. So it's a historical fiction book that it's all about the women. And so it's based on, um, the concept of what was the red tent. So whenever women would be on their, um, their period during the month, they would all convene in this tent called the red tent, because that's where their blood would flow freely because they were deemed unclean at the time because blood is flowing and blood is a sign of life. And so you don't want to, you can't do anything sacred when blood is flowing because it's a sign of life and death. And so, um, they would go into the red tent and it, actually follows along with the one one of the ladies who it talks about her journey in midwifery and how she would help moms give birth and so I mean even before the time of exodus and that's before that took place before exodus and they were already talking about midwives um and so midwives have been around for so long for centuries and it was faith like gabby said on a Someone who was being trained, they would follow along with whoever was the midwife of the town, of the area, of the community, and they would apprentice. It's an apprenticeship model, just like you have in a lot of trades. Um, you know, when you have blacksmith, you have different. Um, Like welding, you have all these different trades. A lot of those are based on apprenticeship because you're learning on the job. You're learning what it is to do. You see what problems may arise, and you learn how to fix them. Um, And you learn from your elders, and that's how it was passed down from generation to generation. And and it's still like that in some countries today. There are um, countries over in Europe, like. Majority of the women who give birth in some European countries today, majority use midwives. Like they only go to OBs over there if they are truly a high risk in pregnancy, and they've been, um, you know, they they need to actually see an OB. But majority use midwives, and midwives were the majority in our country for a long time. So, um, one of the books I'm like gonna like look from and kind of quote some information from is. Um, Tread lightly with this website mm-hmm. uh, for evidence based birth. I wish I could wholeheartedly recommend it. They've unfortunately become very woke um, in the past couple years. Um, they do have a lot of great information when it comes to their um, signature articles such as um, vitamin K, Um Yeah, so they have really great articles and they do have a lot of great information, but just tread lightly with what you're looking up and listening to and reading um, and just be aware that there is some stuff that like I don't agree with. But the founder of it, Rebecca Decker, wrote a book called Babies Are Not Pizzas. They're Born, Not Delivered. Um, And she talks about the history of midwives in the United States. And she said, um, so in the year 1900, which Gabby, that wasn't that long ago, right? No, like 1900, no. <laughs> not that long ago, more than 95% of all births occurred at home. Crazy to think, right? Think.
1: it It's just wild how recently this happened. It's so recent. And yet we think, and you're, I'm sure we're both going to touch on this, but we think midwives like in home birth was this like thing of the past because people didn't have, you know, modern technology and stuff like that. Um, But this is so recent. It's, it, it did not happen that long ago.
0: Yes. And it's, it's really in the 1900s at that point when this big shift happened. So um. It's cool to think about but when everyone was immigrants were coming to the United States naturally everyone settled in their own community because it was the language it was the culture like I remember hearing like growing up like my grandmother who mm-hmm. her mom was from Czechoslovakia um they settled in the small town outside Pittsburgh which was really common from people there's a whole town literally in Pittsburgh called Polish Hill it's all Polish great food there. If you haven't been, so amazing. Um, and they have this beautiful Polish Catholic church there. Well, that's because like in those communities they'd have like in, in one town, they'd have the Polish Catholic church, the, you know, mm-hmm. German church, this church, because it was based off of, you know, your, your, um, not only your culture, your language, like the food, like all of that was a comfort because they, in, that's all you grew up when you knew. And so when you come to this new land, like you're going to try to, bring as much of that as you can with you because that is your comfort that's your home and so with that came midwives so midwives who would be particular for like the Italian midwives you'd have the German oh, wow. midwives. Um, and then you had the African midwives as well too so you had like all these different groups of people in these cultures the different ethnicities and especially in rural areas that would have specific midwives for them because Again, they knew the culture, they knew the language, they just knew the families. Mm -hmm. And that was really big until the early um, 1920s and even like kind of stretching into the 1930s.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of when like obstetrics started to um, really blossom, I guess. That's when obstetrics kind of became this thing. And hospitals kind of realized, oh, like we can make a lot of money. Um, uh, the book Maggie referenced—I don't know if she mentions it in there—but she has a podcast episode as well, Rebecca Demmer. and it's that—Denner or Demmer? Decker. Decker. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's okay. That's why there's two of us here, guys. Exactly. Um, her podcast episode. 175 also touches on this and um she talks about how a lot of this really went from home to hospital birth because they realized how much money they could be making um I believe they said she says that one in four hospitalizations is um like a laboring mom or a mom and a baby so if you think about that that's a huge amount of people that are in the hospitals and bringing in money. Um, And it's kind of reliable, right? Because people are always having babies. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what OBs and hospital administrators kind of figured out like, Hey, if we can get people to come in here and have their babies, it's going to be, it's going to be better, Um, you know, for us. And then they can really push that narrative, of like, oh, well, you don't need midwives. And from there, they really kind of went on about how midwives, like Maggie said, because a lot of the midwives here in this country were from other countries or they were from minorities or they were in rural areas that they were kind of telling people that they were uneducated or even dirty um, Mm -hmm. and dangerous to have your birth assisted by one of these midwives and that you should come to the hospital because the hospital is clean, it's sterile, it's safer. Um, So it kind of just snowballed from there.
0: Yeah, and they so much as had a plan to do this too. Like she says in her book, it's on... So she talks about the history in Chapter 3 and she says how... um, It was easy for them to do this. They made a plan because the obstetricians, especially, you know, in this country, number one, they're all male at the time. All the obstetricians were male in the early 1900s. Um, That was a profession that was just solely for men. And they had an organization. They all spoke the same language. They had an organization, whereas the midwives, like we've said, like they were from all different countries and parts of the world. And no one spoke the same language. Plus, they're all over the place, They're in, especially in rural areas, of which a midwife still traditionally serve today in rural areas because access to a hospital might be an hour or more to get to. And that's not feasible for moms or that they want to have to travel an hour plus in the car while they're in labor. And so she says, and this is not only in this, but also um, the business oh. of being born is a great documentary. I, we were talking about this earlier. I have <laughs> uh, beware of the ending it's a little wonky like it gets a little hippy dippy at the end of that one but they do go through and they outline the history really well um, in there and they said um, but yeah they first launched like the national propaganda campaign that was talking about how like you know these midwives are dirty um, and then, um, And they, these ideas were planted and specifically for wealthy women and the wealthy women began to seek out the care of obstetricians in the hospital. And then when the wealthier women were seeking this out, the lower class women were like, wow, like they're doing it. And that's something I want to be. So I want to do what she's doing Mm -hmm. because I want to be like her. So that was step one. And then step two, physicians began systematically, and I'm reading this from page 42 of her book, physicians began systematically changing state and local laws to outlaw midwifery or if it couldn't be forbidden, to tightly restrict midwifery practice and require midwives to be supervised by physicians. And then third, obstetricians sought to lower the public's perception of general practitioners or family doctors so that women would only seek out obstetricians for maternity care. And that's something you don't even see today too as much. There's one family doctor practice near where we live, um, but even then they don't take many people anymore because they're full. And that's a family doctor is someone who sees the mom helps her, you know, catch her baby, and then she sees her and her child throughout the duration of their life until that doctor retires or the family moves. Um, and that's something you don't see much nowadays, because again, you have that specialty practice of obstetricians who have come in, and they've dominated the scene when it comes to um, prenatal care and birth.
1: Yeah. And I mean, not to go down the rabbit hole of this, but let's just talk about the significance of this. A bunch of, you know, men come in saying, like, oh, all of these women, these midwives, they're uneducated, they're dirty, they're, you know, they're, they're harmful. Um, And everybody, like I said, it's going to go down a rabbit hole real quick, Maggie. But, (laughs) you know, this is kind of, this was earlier, but, you know, here we are. Um, You know feminism is starting to happen around this time as well and then all of these you know these men are walking around right telling people that these women these midwives are dirty they're uneducated all this stuff and people just let it happen and I just find the significance of that so interesting when like I said feminism was kind of not fully on the rise yet but it was starting at this point Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm you know, nobody, nobody was standing up for these midwives. Nobody was standing up for these women. And we just, they, they, not me, they just let these men, these doctors come in and now and say, Hey, we're the authority here. Like you have to get um, permission from us or, you know, we're watching you, we're making the laws and the rules and we're regulating what you're doing. And I just find that so interesting during that time in history.
0: And it's set a precedent now, today, where look at what it was in 1900, where 95% of births were at home, where about I was split, and she says it was split about 50 50, where some were, you know, about 50% were delivered by midwives and 50% were physicians. So, like home, like home family practice physicians. <coughs> Excuse me. And now, in the year 2023, it is the opposite, where it's, it may be like 5% of babies are born at home with midwives um, or in birth centers. And that is a drastic change that's happened in the past hundred years. Um, and the the whole, you know, like Gabby is saying, like this bureaucratic system of how now you have like these, these men who are, you know, making the rules Those rules still do exist. There are states where home birth midwifery is either illegal, which means there's no rules surrounding it, or it is illegal and that you can't practice with a license. Um, There's even rules in certain states where certain states, you cannot attempt a breech birth at home. You cannot attempt a VBAC or out of the hospital. You cannot attempt a VBAC out of the hospital. And if you do, there's a whole chance that there could be something that, you know, like some... You know, prosecution that happens, blah, 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 like going down the whole legal rabbit hole. But um, there are still rules, even in the state of Virginia, as of right now, in May of 2023, um, certain midwives are not allowed to carry medications that they are trained and qualified to use. But the state of Virginia just says, no, you can't do that just because it's the state that says it.
1: And these medications are life saving, by the way.
0: Like, um... I know we give Pitocin a bad rap, but the intention of Pitocin is to help stop a possible bleed or same with attack. Those, the reason those medications are created was to help stop a possible hemorrhage that could be happening after birth. And the reason it should be used is if there's an actual hemorrhage happening, not because like, Oh my gosh, there might be a hemorrhage happening. Um, That is when a midwife would use that or being able to carry IV fluids or being able to carry oxygen to like help out with, you know, a potential, you know, resuscitation that needs to happen. Those are very simple medications that midwives are all trained to use across the board and their national board exam that is for all 50 states. That exam requires them to be able to utilize those medications and understand the the numbers when it comes to um figuring out dosage how to administer them um but it's by state law that whether or not they're allowed to use it and so it just again it comes down to these little things
1: yeah it does and i can tell you as a nurse working in the hospital in mother baby these are meds you know that we give for these things but it doesn't necessarily mean they need to be in the hospital. They simply need to have someone who's qualified like these midwives to give this medication and then watch them um, which you can do at home or, and you can do that with a midwife um,
0: yeah know, I've seen it happen
1: think I've seen it happen Yeah, right. And even just think about being in the hospital how many times have you been in the hospital the person giving you your medications and watching for the side effects is your nurse your OB and your midwife may not even be in the building You know, especially me, I work night shift. I'm calling them half the time. Like, hey, do you want me to do this? This is going on. Sure. Give them some Pitocin. You know, I'll I'll come check on them in the morning. Something like that. So, you know, the idea that we need to send people to the hospital or people need to go to the hospital to have an OB, you know, watching them at all times. When in reality, it's going to be a nurse doing most of the care and is, the OB may not even be in the building like but it's just wild to me that certain states like Virginia is not allowing midwives who are going to be with that mother you know through this process and they're going to stay with her afterwards and their eyes are actually on her she Mm -hmm. cannot give that med that she's even qualified to give
0: yeah and you know and even then I know Virginia is not even the worst when it comes Uh -uh. to a lot like I said you know and it's But it it all is because it started back when they were like, oh, we can monetize off of this. And they do. And that's something just to be aware of. And if you see, there's sometimes people on social media that will share a breakdown of their bill that they get from the hospital. Some people's insurance companies will cover it. Some might only cover part of it. But it is, if you ask for an itemized super bill, to see every single item that you were charged for, you probably won't understand half of what's on that bill because they will charge you for the most ridiculous things on there. And it is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to have your baby. And that's without interventions too. If you start having medications, if you start having, you know, You add in your epidural, you add in Pitocin, you add in, you know, like any other like Cervidil or Cytotec. And then of course, if you have a C-section and then the longer you stay, like it is just adding up on this bill and and even then, your insurance dictates where you can give birth, which is a whole we'll do have, we'll have to do an episode on that because I have that's a I'm gonna go on a bad tangent there but mm-hmm. anyway, so it's just this slippery slope that has happened, and it hasn't even been that long ago, but it's not something that is talked about, and it needs to be because this is affecting us, and it has been affecting us I mean my goodness I, you're not even going to, like, I don't even think, like, Gabby, do you think you're even going to believe about Twilight Sleep? No, no. Gosh. If you've okay.
1: never heard Twilight Sleep before, this is going to just, this is going to blow your mind. So go ahead, okay. Maggie.
0: Okay. So I'm reading what's from her book. Um, again, so this is a great book to read. Um, there's a lot of great books to read, too. Um, Born in America, I believe, is another really good one. Um. There's documentaries out there. So why not home? Uh, The Business of Being Born. Those are really great documentaries. um, And they go into a lot of this as well, too. So there's a lot of places that you can find this information and read. And we really highly encourage you to because you should know the history of women's care because it does affect all of us. It does. Um, And it's going to affect our children. Um, So anyway, so this is from our book. So around the same time, and I'm just reading right now. So around the same time that obstetricians were convincing women to forsake midwives, another strange thing happened. In 1914, there was an article called Painless Childbirth that was published in McClure's magazine, and it was written by two mothers. So it advocated for a wonderful new method of childbirth called Twilight Sleep, defined as giving women a mixture of morphine for pain and I'm gonna butcher this, but scopolamine, scopolamine for sedation and amnesia. I'm just pausing there for a minute because I'm sorry, amnesia. Like, okay, during the first stage of labor, okay. Which for those of you who don't know, first stage of labor, you ha- like first stage of labor, you're just you're in labor. So that is from anywhere from zero to ten centimeters. Like you are not even at the point of. I would even say you're not even close to having your baby at that point, depending (laughs) on where you are in the first stage. Like, yeah. Um, so anyway, the women demanded it as pain relief option. Um, so basically what this was is that it didn't fall out of favor until 1970s. And she talks about how her mom had it too. But what happened is that, um, they would go into the hospital And then the nurses would, um, give them through a gas mask, give general anesthesia would be used during the actual delivery. Moms would have no memory of their birth. They would, um, what they would do is they would strap you onto this table because the medication would cause women to, um, like thrash around because they would scream and thrash around on a crib bed at times. And they were placed in, and at times they were even placed in straight they would use gas masks to give the anesthesia and a cocktail of drugs. Um, and then um, later, Swi- Twilight Sleep evolved to use even stronger sedative medications as well as general anesthesia during the second stage of delivery, which is when. Um, it's also known as the pushing stage. So when you're actively pushing baby out, or the fetal ejection reflex kicks in as well too, and baby's coming. Tragically, women sometimes died when they were oversedated because that was back in the day when they were still trying to figure out what it like the the ratio of the medication was per weight and how to do that. Um, so, for example, in Michigan, obstetri- obstre- obstre- ah, obstetric Anesthesia was the fourth leading cause of maternal death in the 1950s. Um, researchers found that most of these deaths occurred when, ops- um, when the anesthesia was administered by staff who had little to no training in anesthesiology. Um, so moms would be given this medication and, um, they were used to induce maternal sedation passed through the placenta and it also impacted the health of newborns. The Babies usually required resuscitation after twilight sleep birth and they were too sleepy to effectively breastfeed or interact with their moms for an entire week. Moms were too sleepy to hold and care for their babies um, so they were separated for up to a week. Moms would like come out of the surgery and not even remember their baby. Episiotomies which is the cutting of the perineum with scissors was used commonly and babies would be pulled out with, uh, forceps. So it's like big, these really big tongues that would be inserted and would help to pull out the baby because obviously they're not pushing. They're under general anesthesia at this point. In addition to all these drugs where they couldn't feel anything. Um, and then they'd come out of it and not remember any of it. And it, it lasted for 40 years, like 30 to 40 years. This was a very common practice where we live in our country and not that long ago
1: like no it maggie said it stopped finally in the 1970s
0: so that's less than 100 years ago guys like less than a hundred like less than that way less
1: this is insane
0: and this is where epidurals would start to come from because we finally got the medication down and realized that we can just numb from the waist down um, and so it evolved into this over time and it is something where I'm you can't make that up. Like no. this, is, this is history. And this is a part of history that isn't talked about at all. And it, I mean, you can go into a whole rabbit hole of just how that experience is never negatively going to impact a mom, a woman, it's going to negatively, negatively impact the relationship of the dyad because you're separated there's no breastfeeding that's happening at that point um you don't even recall you wait you go in there and pregnant and you come out and you're not pregnant and you don't remember what happened like that that's major
1: and the fact that like the thing that people sold people on was like oh you're not gonna remember she may not remember her birth and that's also traumatic like, the fact that we weren't talking about that, you know, there's so many people, and I, I may have said this before, I think it's an Ina May quote, um, where she says, like, women talk about their birth stories like men talk about their war stories. And that is so true. Women remember their birth. You just do. Yeah. It's a huge part of you. Um, when you talk to a woman who's had to go undergo general anesthesia for a C-section, you um, that's that's another level of traumatizing because she didn't have that transition from being pregnant to delivering her baby she went from being pregnant being put under she's asleep she wakes up her baby is there and you don't have that normal transition into motherhood um It's it's a, you know, a slower birth. It's just like it happens and you were asleep for it. That's traumatic um, in and of itself, whether or not anybody, you know, actually says it is that is Um, because you need that. You need that process to happen. And when we're taking it away from you like that and we're just putting you to sleep and strapping you down. That is just it's inhumane and. There's a great podcast about this. I'll link it, too. I think it's Fierce Lizzie. Have you ever listened to her podcast?
0: I haven't.
1: She has... um, She's a doula and, like, a childbirth educator as well. And she... This was the first episode I listened to of hers on it, but it was very well done. I'll link it. It goes into the history of Twilight Sleep if you guys want more information. Um it's wild and it talks about how it started in another country and like two doctors from the U S went over to like, learn about it. Um, and they did, but they didn't learn about it correctly or thoroughly. So they even, you know, as horrific as twilight sleep already was, you know, just basically, um, putting people to sleep. They made it even worse in this country than it was supposed to be. Um, because again, they were taking shortcuts. They were looking for, Hey, let's just make money. How are we going to get people in the hospital? Let's tell all of these women that, you know, birth is painful. It's horrible. You don't want to remember it. We're going to, we're going to take all that away from you. We are going to make it better for you. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately (laughs) that message hasn't changed. Like Maggie said, because this has opened the doors for epidurals. Now I'm not saying epidurals are the worst thing out there or anything, but we do have to look at where they came from and why. And this narrative that's happened from, you know, birth being put in the hospital, you know, and all of these doctors and hospital administrators that, you know, came up with this plan of how we're going to get people to move away from midwives and get into the hospital to make us money is it's wild and it's full of it's full of crap (laughs) you know it's full of and I, I mean that's just what it is but there's a point where we have to understand that they changed the narrative around birth and made it sound like this scary painful thing whereas before that Birth was just a part of life. Birth it was a was of passage. Yes. It, birth was something that happened. And the woman around you in your culture. And I mean, we touched on this, how it was the woman around you. in your in you knew your midwife well. Um, she was your local midwife. She delivered all the babies. And every culture had their own midwife. You know, this wasn't something people learned from other people. Because we didn't have the internet back then, like how did people yeah. from all of their countries understand that this role, you know, was there? They, you just yeah. know, and it, it's very natural for women yeah. to take on this role and help each other, like Maggie said, through this rite of passage. But then a couple hundred years ago, not even, you know, <laughs> you know, doctors are starting to say, "Hey, how how can we capitalize on this? How can we make money?" On this, we're going to scare women and tell them birth is horrible. It's painful. You don't want to experience it. We're going to take your pain away and we're going to be your saviors. So now we have the savior complex and doctors already have that savior complex because they go to school to save people. But we don't (laughs) always need that when we're dealing with birth. And
0: because we're not we're not broken and we have to and we do have to remember this is that when we are pregnant, there's nothing wrong with us. In a healthy, low-risk pregnancy, nothing is wrong because God very intentionally designed this process. And we do need to come back to that. And that's why, I mean, midwife literally translates with woman. And that is what her role is supposed to be. She's supposed to be walking alongside the mother, as she is um, throughout her pregnancy, as she is growing this child, and then especially during labor and when she's uh, giving birth and even afterward and postpartum. So she is walking along with women. And, I mean, talk about pro-life care. Like, talk mm-hmm. about holistic pro-life care where we are not only honoring, we are honoring mom. We're honoring baby. We're honoring what the process was intentionally designed to do because there is so much intention with this process. I mean, and, and we we talk about this probably almost every episode, like my goodness, if, if man would have designed this process, no way, no way that it would work because there's so many little tiny intentional things that God has put in and how he's designed our system and how complex yet simple it is. And it is something that we just have to keep going back. Back to and realizing that this is an it is truly an honor as hard as it is and as you know as difficult as it may be as hard as it is as taxing as it might be it is an honor to be able to co-create with the divine creator it really is and how he has given us this gift to be able to do so and we need to come back and to remember that to be able to honor that in the care that is given to us during that time and recognizing how important that is because that is treating making sure the woman is treated with dignity making sure that her family is treated with dignity that the newborn is treated with dignity and that is forgotten majority of the time it just is and so that, unfortunately this is where we're at when it comes to our care and there's a lot of people who are trying to make that change and And Dr. Shu talks about this and he was in the system for 20 years and he's like we cannot go in, you cannot go in and change the hospital system you can't, you just mm-hmm. can't it is a beast and so but it is so important to know the history of it because we can't walk into things blind and i think if anything we have learned from you know the past few years is that we do need to start questioning things um, that we always kind of took for granted. As you know, this is this is you know the way that things are, and this is just the way things are done. And so, you are an individual. You are individually created by God. You are unique, and you are beautiful, and you are loved. And you need to make those decisions for yourself, not because other people have done it in the past, not because you're like everyone else is doing it, but because what is it that you need? And so, knowing this history is it it does need to be a part of that as hard as it is to just see it, to hear it. And even to believe it. Like, I, I still don't believe like, to a degree, like that, that was like, how could that even be a thing? Like, how could that be a thing? Yeah.
1: I even just talking about the fact that like the, they made a plan to, you know, wipe out midwives, like to actually come up with a plan to me at first, I was like, this is not real, but it is. And you have to, you have to know this. You have to look at the history of what happened, especially because it was so recent and it's affecting women today. I mean, one <laughs> in three births is considered a traumatic birth. The majority of birth guys is happening in the hospitals, you know, like we have to confront this. We have to talk about it. We have to be okay with knowing the truth. And this isn't a debate about whether home birth is better or, you know, midwives are better over OBs. This is just you have to look at the facts of what's going on and what happened and how we got here because it's it's not okay. And like Maggie mm-hmm. said, we're not gonna change the hospital system. And unfortunately, and I can tell you this, for me as a nurse going to nursing school, wanting to help people, and I get in the hospital system, and it's all about making money. It is all about making money, and it's not about the patient. And I know that's hard to hear, and it's hard. it was hard for me to actually see that in person. But unfortunately, it's true, because hospitals need to make money they have so many people on top doing administrating work and (laughs) that they need to make money. So they have to bring people in the hospital and like we said earlier, bringing women in who are in labor and ready to give birth, that makes money. So Whether This doesn't mean you can't give birth in a hospital or choose an OB, but you have to know the history of how we got here um, in order to make an informed decision.
0: Yeah. And just like you make an informed decision about little things of care, whether it's about, you know, your birth plan or newborn care, it is always good to have the facts, the benefits, and the risks. And part of that is the history. And like Gabby said, there's a reason – that you know, what you, one in three births is traumatic. There's a reason that one in three births in the United States is a C-section today. There's a reason that morbid, morbidity and mortality rates for maternal and newborn in our country are not the lowest in the world. There's a in reason the rising, so that. and they're the rising. rising. They are, they are, they are rising, and they have been rising. Um, and this, and it's we ne- the, it, we just need to know the history in order so that we don't repeat it and we don't continue to make it worse and part of that is and we'll talk about this in our next week but like part of it is is what is the decision that you're going to make in this big role like in this in this Mm -hmm. big play that's like happening right now because each of the decisions that we make is either going to help promote that or change that and even though like our one decision may not feel like much in the grand scheme of things it can make a difference between you know how other people view view birth how other people view care how other people are even just viewing the pro life narrative uh, and that's because that starts with the dignity of the human person it does if we're not going to respect the dignity of the human person at, at at like at this stage in life how are we going to respect it in the womb when we can't understand and see it clearly and that's something that we need to be doing and desiring and seeking out when we are pregnant. We have to be desiring that we feel like we are being treated with dignity and respect. And the reality is, is, is women aren't, they aren't. Um, And so, yeah, definitely. If you haven't already pick up a book and read, listen to a podcast other than this one. Um, There's some great ones out there that talk about this in more depth, those documentaries. And we'll link, you know, all of these, but either watch a documentary that you haven't seen before or read a new book or listen to another podcast and just know more of this history and um, just be able to try to like, support your local midwives and helping them out. And whether it's you give birth with them or just see what it is that they need. Like it is something that that's how we can change the, the narrative going forward and to not repeat ourselves of what this history has been of our women's care in the United States.
1: Absolutely. And just to go along with that, like, personally, I was never on board with home birth. You know, I knew midwives were like, oh, if you want a more natural option and like stuff like that, you pick a midwife. But like, to me, it really was never like, oh, what's the difference between the midwife and the OB? Like, same thing in the end, right? It's a huge difference. And I learned a lot of that by listening to the podcast, by reading books, by being willing to have my mind changed, especially because I'm going through nursing school and I'm like hearing all these conflicting things about how dangerous home birth is and all of these (laughs) very outdated um, information that they're giving me in nursing school. And then I'm starting to learn all this stuff on my own and my mind was changed, guys. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to admit that like, hey, I was not on board with home birth you know, a few years ago. And now I'm like, yeah, I completely understand why more and more women are choosing this and why it's safe. Um, And how sometimes it's even safer than being in the hospital. And, but you have to, you have to do the research on your own. You have to understand it. You have to be willing to have your mind changed. And this doesn't mean that you have to have a home birth, but it means that you need to understand why you're having a hospital birth and why hospital births even exist um when they didn't not that long ago.
0: So- and also not letting and this is something too, maybe not letting your insurance dictate what you do. Because yep. that's a big part of it for a lot of us. It it truly is. And that's something that it's hard to escape, but it's a reality as well, too. Because that, the insurance, I'm just going to say the insurance companies are in bed with the hospital. They are. That's a way that it's worded. And I know that sounds really funny, but mm-hmm. like they do work hand in hand. And there's a reason insurance companies do not reimburse most of the times for home births or, or birth center births because yep. they recognize, well, hospitals are big money makers. We make a lot of money off of this, but we're going to partner with them. Yep that's that's a reality and that is a reality we need to be aware of as well too because again just giving the facts and they're frustrating they're really frustrating gosh they're so frustrating no
1: i know i'm like i could go on and we are actually planning like a kind of a part two to this episode because things that maggie and i talk about all the time that are just very important to talk about we're gonna we're gonna touch on and kind of continue this conversation so I don't want to start it yet. But yeah, there there's a lot that we ourselves as mothers, as women, um, as human beings, and just need to be understanding when it comes to birth and the hospital and all of that stuff that's going on, especially now, because you know we we In the end, we hold the power, you know, because we're, we're giving that power to the hospitals and the insurance companies. So I think it's time for us to take it back. But to do that, we need to be willing to look at the, the facts and, you know, learn something new. Um, Mm -hmm. And just, just even doing something as simple as starting to share like more positive birth stories, because how many negative ones do we hear or Mm -hmm. You know, when your kids see a birth on TV, maybe tell them, hey, guys, that's not actually how it goes. Um, and I will say my mom was actually very good about that when um, we would watch TV. It still it affected me watching movies and stuff when women were giving birth. And my mom would say, like, oh, it's nothing like that. Like, you don't scream like people don't act like that. It's not that painful. Um, it's not as scary as they're showing. But that still affected me. So things like that. It might be simple, but it, it made an effect on me. So talk to your kids when they see those things on TV because Hollywood loves to make birth super scary and dramatic. And, you know, everybody else out there is telling you okay. their horrible negative birth story. And that's why you need to be in the hospital and all that stuff. So something as simple as just sharing positive birth stories sharing an experience that's good or when somebody you know overhears a very traumatic birth story she was one on TV maybe be that person that leans over and says hey i have a really great story to tell you and birth is actually beautiful and it's not scary and it's not something that we need doctors to take the pain away from because it's beautiful and it's an experience
0: yeah. So yeah. and even final thing, like just even meet your local midwives as well too. Some will host, like meet the midwives one night or ask the midwife questions. So you can just see things from their perspective or understand fully what it is that they do, even just sitting and talking with them and, and scheduling a consult with them to just hear like what their practice is like, like what it is. What is the difference of midwifery model of care versus the OB model of care? Um, and just supporting your local midwives, too. They do a lot um, to, to keep birth safe, especially out of the hospital. Like, And that is, their, that is their goal and that is their desire and their passion. And so not only meeting with them and talking with them, but even if you, like Gabby is saying, if you don't want to have a birth with them, seeing how you can support them, like how you can help out. With them, Um, help out with their, maybe like connecting them with sitters or, or offering to watch their kids the next time that she's at a birth, because those are things that help to help her to keep being so helpful to the families that she's serving. So just supporting your local midwives can help support this change as well, too. Absolutely.
1: Same thing, even if like talking to doulas, you know, doulas have a lot of perspective on birth, birth in the hospital, birth at home. Um, so if there's a doula in your area, you can kind of just pick her brain and ask her some questions. Um, you know, she, she may not give you, like, her exact opinion on things to keep it just kind of unbiased, but she will be open and tell you the facts. Um, so that's always something, you know, we want to support our local doulas and midwives.
0: Yes, and and I will say an advantage of a doula, too, is that doulas do you see both hospital and home birth or birth center? Whereas a midwife typically is obviously more centered in the birth center or home birth. So so talk with a doula and seeing like, you know, what is the difference you've seen between in and out of hospital and OB versus midwife care and, you know, how moms feel afterward and how, you know, what happens with the transfer? What happens with all this? Like asking those questions as opposed to just assuming um, what answers are, or assuming because you read this one story on Instagram, or you know whatever. Like, ask questions of your local Julas because your local birth community will be different from someone else's birth community in another state. So, yeah, yeah, doing and- your part in researching is huge.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway, and we're gonna have lots of stuff for you guys to look over and everything. Um, so it all be linked.
0: Yeah, well, in our, our next episode, is our final one of this season, we're gonna kind of do like a season break, so that way we can take a break um, over the summer and um, be with our families more, and the craziness of you know summer, no schedules, and traveling and such, and um, then just create more content for for our lovely listeners to prepare for the next season. But we'll have one more episode coming out in the beginning of june i guess mm-hmm. at that point so yeah second week of june i don't know yeah, i yeah yeah so. and um yeah so that'll kind of be like part two of this so yeah stay tuned and then we'll take our little break and come back strong for our second season
1: yes and any apologies for sydney and her noise today she is just don't a apologize
0: Yes, Don't you're, right, you're right. Don't apologize. Don't apologize. <laughs> it's okay. You know what? I'm working this is, on it. No, this I know. It's so hard, but like we need to. I mean, I I work on it too. But just being able to, you know, know yes. that and remember reminding each other that children are, are beautiful gifts, even if it seems like they're interrupting you have to pause a conversation twenty times in one yes. sentence just to get through it. You know, because you're. Your child keeps asking for things, but they're gift and she is our extra co-host. So that's right. I love having her on. She's been there since. I mean, she's been there since day one, which is yes. Fun. So she's just our special little co-host.
1: We'll keep her for as long as she behaves. Oh yeah, right.
0: Yeah, she's on her trial run right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well. Hopefully, yeah, I can't wait to hear if anyone will check out like any of the documentaries and what are the podcasts and books and see what they love. I've already had so many people say that they've watched like Business of Being Born and that was, you know, changing for them. And we like I like Why Not Home. That's a really good one, too. That was one one. of my
1: favorites. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's a really good one. So um, obviously take things with a grain of salt. Some people can be a little hippy dippy in some of these. Um, They were made in the early, I think, 2000s. Um, Yeah. I think so. I think they're in the early 2000s. You can kind of tell from the quality. But um, just know, unfortunately, nothing's really changed since that time. I think home birth has gone up or out of hospital birth has gone up a little bit since um, COVID hit just because the whole hospital policies really caused out of hospital birth to kind of increase a little bit. But other than that, not much has changed. So those documentaries are still very true today.
1: Yeah, and they're they're very informative, and I think they're a good starting point for you if you, like, just want to sit down and watch it. You know, if you're not ready to dive into a book or something like that, this is a great starting point.
0: I think we should do a screening one day. I think that'd be fun. Maybe Ooh, for yes. locally, we we'll have to talk yes. about that. That'd be fun. Let's do that. We, we have a birth center that we could totally try to do it at. I don't know. We'll have to make plans. Maybe over the summer or something, we can do an outdoor screening. I don't know. That would be fun. Let's We'll, th- we'll think about it, plans, but... Anyway, it's been real. We're going to yes. go enjoy this beautiful day.
1: Same. All right. Well, enjoy, and we will chat soon. Thanks for listening, y'all. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Blessed Be Birth Podcast. Please know that none of the information shared on this podcast is medical advice and should not be taken as such. If you want to connect with us, please follow us on Instagram at Podcast.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast today, please subscribe and leave us a review so we can continue to reach even more amazing faithful women. Thanks so much, and remember to invite God in.